Good evening, and uh, it's good to be back with you. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Job as we continue our studies. And this evening, we're going to go through chapter 4. So let's start at verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence, and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now who, being innocent, was ever perished. Wherever were the upright, where were the uprights ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they are destroyed. At the blast of his anger they perish. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lion perished for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness were scattered. A word was secretly brought to me, my ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on men fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake a spirit glided past my faith, face and the hair of my body stood on end it stopped but I could not tell what it was a form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his master? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. Between dawn and dusk they are broken to pieces. Unnoticed they perish for ever. And no, not the cords of our tent are not the cords of their tent pulled up, so they die without wisdom. Let's just pray before we have a look at those words. Our Father, we thank you again for the fact that we can meet freely in what is still an unusual way, but we can still gather together in your name and around your word and hear you speak to us. So may you do that this, this, this evening as you speak through your living word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to this passage and I've titled it um, Comfort or Not. So far we've heard Job pour out his heart in the midst of his suffering and it would be good for us to read chapter 3 again as if, like Job, we didn't know what has happened between Satan and God. And then to ask the question, what do we think about what Job has been saying? And what opinions would we form? And also, how would we answer him? You know, we might think about Job, and we might think about asking him, Job, where's your faith? See, Job has doubts. He asks questions. He has cursed the day that he was born. He can find no reason or any value in his existence. He has no rest, no peace, 
and he's in the depths of despair. He's in a very dark place, and he is afraid. You know, we might never have to suffer like Job, but suffering can take us to a dark place, a place where even as believers, we can be surrounded by many questions, many doubts, fears, just like Job was. And even when these things happen, these are times when, because of our pain and our discomfort, we find it hard to concentrate on anything, anything other than our situation. And we lose our hold on what are the essentials of life. We sometimes have no appetite for food, both natural food and spiritual food. And the results of this can be that we turn away from both. Now, as I've been reading this, that the first thoughts here was that Job's faith was weakening. And as things go on, it seems that it would become even weaker. But I think I'm wrong to think like that. The truth that Job's faith might be at a low ebb is correct. And as these things continue and the pressure increases and Job's faith gets pushed down, you know, it will actually become stronger. Now, Job might not realize that. He might not know that this is happening. He might not feel as though it's happening. But if it hadn't happened, then he would not have survived. Now, whether we feel it or not as Christians, in those times, the Lord is still with us. And he is fully aware of our situation. This is why we're encouraged in our Bibles, in many different places we read, that we need to be encouraged to be perseverers to hold on to what we know to be true. Now for Job, his faith is in the righteousness of God. It's a little bit like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as they walked into that fiery furnace. We read about them in Daniel, and in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, we read this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So what the saying is, look, God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we will still trust in him. And in the words of Job, when he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He is saying more or less the same thing. The Lord gave him what he had, and he's now taken it away. And it's his right to do that. So because of that, may the name of the Lord be praised. Now, it's not going to be easy for Job, but he will hold on to this. A little bit like a man, if you can imagine, dangling over the precipice and he holds on to the rope. And this is perseverance in action. Hold on, hold tight. Hold on, the Lord is at hand. 
job is a little bit like the athlete in, in, in a marathon whose strength seems to be disappearing, but his determination keeps him in the race and out of his weakness, his strength brings victory as he bursts across the line through the finishing tape. And this is as everything else that Job has trusted in falls away, his faith in God and in God's supremacy and God's supreme will becomes his immovable focus. And it is this that will carry him through. We come into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in his life put it this way when he wrote to Corinthians in his second letter, chapter 12, verse 10. It is for Christ's sake that I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, with these things in mind, let's make a start on our journey as we find out what his friends have to say to him. As we do this, we will find out more about them We'll find out that they are God-fearing wise men, men who are older than Job. And they know a lot about Job, and they have always had Job in higher state. They have a high opinion of him. And this is all happening at the time of the patriarchs, so they would have been aware of the events that we have in our Bibles. From Genesis chapter 1 through to Genesis chapter 12, this is what they would know about God. They would have been worshippers of God, just as Abraham was through that period of time. So let's see what Eliphath has to say. This is in verse 1 to 6 of chapter 4. If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? You see, his friends have not said a word to him for a week. Eliphath, probably the oldest and considered to be the wisest, is the first friend to speak. His opening comments appear to be courteous, but they turn out to be quite condescending. To paraphrase it a little bit, I hope that you don't mind me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, you have all the answers that you need. Look how you've helped and advised many people about how they should deal with their suffering and their sorrow and their loss. And you were good at that. So why don't you pull yourself together? Why don't you start to practice what you preach? You're good at telling others. You know what to tell them, what they should do. Why don't you do it yourself? You see, this instead of confirming how good Job has been to others and recognising that Job has been and still is like no other man on earth and that he is blameless and he is upright, he is a man who fears God and shuns evil. 
Eliphath puts a different spin on it and will eventually question the validity of Job's integrity. And then that phrase that we heard at the end of that little passage, should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? You know, in these words, Eliphaz is working towards telling Job that his blessings have come to him by way of Job's good works. And Eliphaz, as we read on, will now share some of his observations on life. So verse 7 through to 11. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish, at the blast of his anger they are no more. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. You know, these things are true, but they are really a one-sided reference to them. And the whole truth is not held within what Eliphath is saying. He's seeing what he wants to see. And you know, sometimes we do that, don't we? We know what we want to see. And that's all we see. Eliphath has heard Job's words. He's seen the state that Job is in. But he makes no effort to try to understand how Job is feeling. There is no apparent love here for his friend and there's no real sympathy for his condition. And he says to Job, think about this, something you and I know. That is that God always blesses the righteous and he always destroys the wicked. On the basis of this, Eliphath is already on his way to making his mind up about Job. He's thinking that Job has offended God and now God is punishing him and there can be no other reason for the state that Job is in other than this. Eliphaz makes no effort to understand the misery of Job's condition but he's ready to discuss the morality of it. When you were faithful to God, Job, you merited his blessing. Now because you have sinned, he has taken it all away. This theology is partly right. God is a God of justice and ultimately the righteous will be blessed and the wicked will ultimately be judged. But it is wrong to say that this is what is happening to Job. And incidentally, we'll see that all his other friends, the other two friends, make the same assumptions as Eliphaz is beginning to make here. And then Eliphaz goes on with a part of this chapter that is quite difficult to understand and a little bit scary in some way this is verse 12 through to 16 this is what Eliphaz says a word was secretly brought to me my ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake a spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end it stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. You know, this period of time in the Old Testament is a time when God on occasion would speak to men in dreams and in visions. 
And Eliphaz has this, what he says is a scary dream. He speaks of a spirit that spoke to him in a hushed voice. And Eliphaz bases his, his understanding of what was happening on that night and on what the voice said to him. So here's a couple of questions. Was it God who was speaking? And what did the voice say? Well, if we just think about these things, we consider what we know. We know that God has given Satan permission to torment Job. Within the limitations being that he cannot take Job's life. But there was nothing to stop Satan trying to influence Job. Job's wife threw her request to Job for him to curse God. So what is there to stop Satan using Job's friends to bring about the result that he wants? And what he wants is for Job to curse God. So what does the voice say? Well, it's interesting what it didn't say. It didn't say to Eliphaz, hear the word of the Lord. Eliphaz tells us that the voice said a word that was secretly brought to him in a hushed voice. So what did this voice say? Let's read on in Job 17 through to 21. Chapter 4, verse 17. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth, between dawn and dusk they are broken to pieces. Unnoticed, they perish forever. Are not the cords of their tent pulled up so that they die without wisdom? As we consider these words, we see that there is some truth in what the voice is saying. But I emphasize the word, some truth. Let's just have a Look at it. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Well, no, he can't. And that's confirmed Romans 3 verse 10, as it is written. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? No. Let's go to Isaiah 64 verse 8. Yet you, Lord, our Father, we the clay... You, the potter, we are all the work of your hand. So how can the pot be greater than the potter? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. In other words, what's being said here is, why should God trust you? You're just a mere man. Why should he trust you when he doesn't trust the angels? Well, we have to think about that because God does trust his angels. He does trust his messengers. And many times he has and we have accounts of it in our Bibles. 
Not least of all at the announcements of the birth of Jesus. The greatest announcements ever made. And God trusted that to the angels. And also, God trusts us. You and I, when we become Christians, he trusts us with the gospel. Let's go back to scripture. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service. That's good, isn't it? In other words of Paul, he could say to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And the verses go on. Between dawn and dusk they are broken to pieces, unnoticed they perish forever. Are not the cords of their tent pulled up so that they die without wisdom? What's being said here? Well, what's being said is that man is insignificant. Nobody cares. We all die, and then that's it. But that's not true, is it? Because God does care. Let's go Again, to scripture, Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. That is an expression telling us how much God cares for us and about us. For this evening, as we draw to a close, at the end of this passage, I just want us to consider the things that we've been talking about and see what we can apply to ourselves as we might be the person who is suffering or we might be the person who is there to bring comfort to one who is suffering. And we can learn a lot from this. But we also learn a lot of other things. Listen to the truth of the words of Paul as he tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And he tells us this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, heaven and earth are not separated. These things are happening together between heaven between earth. They were in the days of Job. They still are in the days in which we live. So here's a word of advice from John. 1 John 4 verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, when we come to this book of Job, we find it sometimes very difficult and in some ways confusing. And as we approach it, we know that all the answers to our questions will not be given. But our Father, we thank you that through these words of the book of Job, you can encourage us and you can enlighten us. And our Father, you've already reminded us that you are with us. Even when we feel that you are not, you are there, you care, you love us. And our Father, we thank you for that ultimate love that you had when you gave your Son to die for us. Which speaks again of how important we are to you. 
and how important Job was to you, even through his times of struggle. So, our Father, we come in the name of Jesus and seek your blessing upon this time that we've spent with you this evening. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, next week we will continue to hear what else Eliphaz has to say. But for this evening, in the words of the hymn, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I think we can all say, Amen to that. Amen.